0: Chapter fifteen of Tom Ossington's Ghost by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fifteen The Companion of His Solitude. When he looked up, it was timidly, doubtfully, as if fearful of what he might see. He glanced about him anxiously from side to side, as if in search of something or some one. Tom, Tom, he said, speaking, it was difficult to say to whom. He paused as if for an answer. When none came, he drew himself upright gradually, inch by inch. They noticed how his lips were twitching, and how the whole of his body trembled. He passed his hand over his eyes as a man might who is waking from a dream. Then he stretched it out in front of him, palm upwards, with a something of supplication in the action, which lent pathos to the words he uttered words which in themselves were more than sufficiently bizarre do any of you believe in ghosts in disembodied spirits assuming a corporeal shape in the dead returning from their graves or as a man who thinks he sees a ghost who knows he sees a ghost who knows that a ghost is a continual attendant of his waking and of his sleeping hours alike must such a man be in labor with some horrible delusion of his senses is his brain of necessity unhinged must he of a certainty be mad not only was such an interrogation in itself remarkable but more especially was it so as coming from such a figure as ballingall presented his rags and dirt were in strange contrast with his language his words chosen as it seemed with nice precision came from his lips with all the signs of practised ease his manner even his voice assumed a touch of refinement which before it lacked in him was displayed the spectacle of a man of talent and of parts encased in all the outward semblance of a creature of the kennel madge to whom the inquiry seemed to be more particularly addressed replied to it with another why do you ask us such a question about the man's earnestness as he responded there could be no doubt the muscles of his face twitched as with Saint Vitus dance, beads of sweat stood upon his brow. The intensity of his desire to give adequate expression to his thoughts seemed to hamper his powers of utterance. Because I want someone to help me someone God or man, because during the last year and more I have endured a continual agony to which I doubt if the pains of hell can be compared. "'because things with me have come to such a pitch "'that it is only at times I know if I am dead or living, "'asleep or waking, mad or sane, myself or another.' "'He pointed to Graham. "'He has told you how it was with me aforetime, "'how I was haunted, driven by a ghost to jail. "'When I was in jail it was worse a thousandfold. "'I was haunted always, day and night. "'The ghost of my old friend.' the best friend man ever had whom in so many ways i had so blackly and often wronged was with me continually in my cell oh for some sign by which i could know that my sins have been forgiven me by which i could learn that by suffering i could atone for the evil i have done some sign o lord some sign he threw his hands above his head in a paroxysm of passion as has been said of more than one great tragic actor in his voice there were tears as indeed there were in the eyes of at least one of those who heard his manner when he proceeded was a little calmer which very fact seemed to italicise the strangeness of his tale the first day i spent in prison i was half beside myself with rage i had done things for which i had merited punishment even of man and now that punishment had come It was for something I had not done. The irony, as well as the injustice of it, made me nearly wild. I had my first taste of the crank, which is as miserable, as futile, and as irritating a mode of torture as was ever spewed out of a flesh-and-blood crank's unhealthy stomach, and I was having what they called their dinner when the cell door opened, and Tom Ossington came in it was just after noon in the broad day he came right in front of me and leaning on his stick he stood and watched me i had not been thinking of him and a moment before had been hot with fury ready to dare or do anything but at the sight of him the strength went out of me my bones might have been made of jelly they seemed so little able to support my body there was nothing about him which was in the least suggestive of anything unusual he was dressed in a short coat and felt hat which were just like the coats and hats which he had always worn and he had in his hand the identical stick which i had seen him carry perhaps a thousand times if it was a ghost then there are ghosts of clothes as well as of men if it was an optical delusion then there are more things in optics than are dreamt of in our philosophy if it was an hallucination born of a disordered mind then it is possible to become lunatic without being conscious of any preliminary sappings of the brain and it is indeed but an invisible border-line which divides the madmen from the sane well charlie he said in the quiet tones which i had known so well so it's come to this you've made a bit of a mistake in coming when you did to fetch away that fortune of yours it seems i said as if i had he laughed that gentle laugh of his which had always seemed to me to be so full of enjoyment never mind Charlie. you come another time the fortune won't run away while you're in here with that he turned and limped out of the cell the door seeming to open before him at a touch of his hand and shutting behind him as noiselessly as it had opened it was only after he had gone that i realized what it was that i had seen in an instant, I was in a muck of sweat. While I was sitting on my stool, more dead than alive, the door opened again, this time with clatter and noise enough, and the warder appeared. He glared at me in a fashion which meant volumes. Is that you talking in here? You'd better take care, my lad, or you'll make a bad beginning. He banged the door behind him, and he went. Ballingall paused to wipe his brow with the back of his hand. And he sighed i made a bad beginning and from the warder's point of view i went from bad to worse i do not know if the man i had injured has been suffered to torture me before my time or if where he is his nature has changed and he seeks in the grave the vengeance he never sought in life if so he has had his fill of it he surely has had his fill of it already it was through him that i was there and now that i was there he made my sojourn in the prison worse than it need have been much worse god knows that first visitation of his was followed by others twice thrice sometimes four times a day he would come to me when i was in my cell and speak to me and compel me to answer him and my voice would be heard without it became quite a custom for the warder on duty to stand outside my cell often in the middle of the night and pounce on me as soon as tom had gone the instant tom went the warder would come in never once did an officer enter while he was actually with me but almost invariably his departure was a signal for the warder to put in his appearance i don't know how it was or why it was but so it was i would be accused of carrying on a conversation with myself reported and punished as a matter of fact i was in continual hot water because of tom not a single week passed from that in which i entered the prison to that which i left it during which i did not undergo punishment of some sort or other because of tom as a result all my marks were bad marks when i left the jail so far from receiving the miserable pittance which good conduct prisoners are supposed to earn i was penniless i had not even the wherewithal with which to buy myself a crust of bread a more dreadful form of torture tom could hardly have invented a man need not necessarily suffer although he is in jail but i suffered always i was in the bad books of the officers they regarded me as an incorrigible bad-conduct man which from their point of view i was all sorts of ignominy was heaped upon me Every form of punishment I could be made to undergo, I had to undergo. I never earned my stripe, nor the right of having a core mattress with which to cover the bare board on which I was supposed to sleep. I was nearly starved, owing to the perpetually recurring bread and water, and the horrors I endured, the devils which beset me in that unspeakable dark cell. To me, jail was a long drawn out and ever increasing agony from the first moment to the last god knows it was the speaker paused he stood his fists clenched staring vacantly in front of him as if he saw there in a mist the crowding spectres of the past there seemed to come a break in his voice as he continued he spoke with greater hesitation some three months before my sentence was completed tom changed his tactics while i was sleeping such sleep on the bare board which served me as a bed i'd have a vision it was like a vision like a vision and yet it was as if i was awake it seemed as if tom came to me and put his arm into mine and led me out of jail and brought me here to clover cottage he'd stand at the gate and say charlie this is clover cottage and i'd answer i know it is then he'd laugh in some way that laugh of his seemed to cut me like a knife and he'd lead me down the pathway and into the house to this very room though ballingall looked about him doubtfully it wasn't furnished as it is now it was like it used to be and he'd go and stand by the door as you did this was to madge and he'd say now charlie pay particular attention to what i am about to do i'm going to show you how to get that fortune of yours which you came for once before and went away without now observe then he'd walk straight across the room as you did again to madge and he'd turn to me and say notice exactly what i'm doing then he'd take a foot rule from his pocket and he'd measure three feet from where he stood along the floor and he'd hold up the rule and say you see three feet then he'd measure four feet from the floor and hold out the rule again and say you see four feet then he'd put his hand against the panel and move it upwards and it would slide open and there was an open space within he'd put his hand into the open space and take something out it looked to me like a sheet of paper and he'd say this is what will give you that fortune of yours when you find it only you'll have to find it first be sure you find it charlie and he'd laugh and though it was the gentle laugh of his which i had known so well of old there was something about it which seemed to mock me and cut me like a whip and make me quiver he'd take my arm again and lead me from the house and back to the jail and i'd wake to find myself lying on the bare board alone in the dark cell crying like a child in the morning perhaps at dinner-time he'd come into the cell in the usual way and ask me charlie do you remember last night yes tom i'd reply i do and then he'd go on mind you don't forget it's most important charlie that you shouldn't forget i'll tell you what you must remember take this and write it down and he'd give me something my bible or my prayer-book or even the card of rules which was hung against the wall and a piece of pencil though where he got that from i never knew and he'd say now write what i dictate and i did just as you saw it on the paper which i left behind the first line tom ossington's ghost he always made me write that it was the only allusion he ever made to there being anything unusual about his presence there and the second line right straight across three four up when i'd written it he'd say charlie mind you take the greatest care of that and don't let it go out of your possession for a moment it's the guide to that fortune of yours and then he'd go and the moment he had gone the warder would come bursting in and catch me with the pencil and the bible or whatever it was in my hand with the writing on the fly-leaf and he'd begin to gird at me so you're at it again are you and you've got a pencil have you and been writing in your bible you're a pretty sort upon my word you are i'll tell you what it is my lad you'll get yourself into serious trouble before you've done and he'd take the pencil away with him And the Bible and the writing, and I'd be reported again and punished with the utmost severity which was within the compass of the governor's power. Ballingall stopped again. A convulsive fit of trembling seemed to go all over him. Towards the end, the vision took another form. Tom would bring me to the house, only, I think, not to this room, but to another, and he would do something. He would do something i saw quite clearly what it was he did and understood it well but as soon as i was out of the house the recollection of what he had done became blurred as by a mist i could not remember at all i'd waken my cell in agony to think that all that tom had shown me should have slipped my memory in the morning he'd come and ask charlie do you remember what we did last night no tom i don't i've tried to think but i can't it's all forgotten he'd laugh his laugh seeming to mock me more than ever. Never mind, Charlie, I'll tell you all about it. You write down what I say. And I wrote it down, the last line which was on the scrap of paper, though I never knew what it meant. Never, never. I've searched my brains many times to think and been punished for writing it again and again. At last I was released. At last, my God, at last, his whole frame quivered he drew himself upright as if endeavouring to bear himself as became a man i was treated when going out according to my deserts i had earned no favour and i received none the governor reprimanded me by way of a godspeed, told me that my conduct while in prison had been very bad and warned me that it would go ill with me if i returned i went out in the rags in which i had entered without a penny in my pocket hungry at the moment of relief, i have not tasted bite or sup from the time that i came out of jail until to-night in the afternoon i came round to clover cottage the first thing i saw was him he pointed to graham he was afraid of me and i was afraid of him that is the truth otherwise i should have gone up to him and asked him for at least a shilling because directly i caught sight of him i knew what he was after and that i was going to be tricked and robbed again While I was trying to summon up courage enough to beg of the man whom I knew had played me false, I saw someone else, and I ran away. I meant to get a bed in the casual ward of the Wandsworth workhouse, but Tom came to me as I was going there and told me not to be so silly, but to come and get the fortune which was waiting for me at Clover Cottage. So I came, but I never got the fortune, and ever since I've been growing hungrier and hungrier, until i've grown beside myself with hunger because tom stopped me when i was going to the workhouse again last night and bade me not to be so silly though i don't know why i should have been silly in seeking for shelter and for food and not a couple of hours ago he came to me while i was trying to find a hole in the common in which to sleep and packed me off once more to fetch away my fortune but i haven't found it yet not yet not yet though he stretched out his arms on either side of him and on his face there came a strange look of what seemed exaltation i know it's near in the pause which followed ella raised her hand listen she exclaimed who's that there's someone at the garden gate there did seem someone at the garden gate someone who opened and shut it with a bang they heard footsteps on the tiles which led to the front door while they waited listening for a knock Another sound was heard. Hark! cried Ella. There's someone fumbling with a latch key at the door, trying to open it. Whoever can it be, at this hour of the night? There must be some mistake. I think, said Madge, in her eyes there was a very odd expression, it is possible there is no mistake, this time. End of chapter 15